What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hi, I'm Scott Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Mike Labar, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we... We have an added we today. Yes, right. This is this is a, a, a new we added plus, to it. Plus one. Yeah, plus one. Paul Rabel Paul in the Rabel. house. Man, what's happening? It's great to be here. This is my second time on the show, and I you was just You may be pain. our first repeater, Whoa, by the way. Oh, is this our first repeat? Hey. You may be our yeah. first repeater. Hey. Love, but I, when I'm in person, last time we did a phoner, and I, regretfully, but it's great to see the crew in action live. For those who don't know who Paul Rabel is, if you're not a lacrosse fan, and you know what? Maybe I'm even telling you short. You don't need to be a lacrosse fan no, these no, days no. to know who Paul Rabel is. But widely regarded as the best lacrosse player in the world. But more yeah. importantly, why you're here today, not that you're not invited to pop by anytime you want. I know you like the snacks, it's you like the office. really great here. But I like the snacks. Finally, the le- <laughs> we, and you and I have sort of been talking about this. I know you've had grand plans. The, the Premier Lacrosse League is today, as of this morning, a reality. As of this morning, via Bloomberg.com. The Premier Lacrosse League has launched. It is a revolutionary tour-based major professional lacrosse league that is founded and includes six teams and the best lacrosse players on the planet, marked by a major media rights deal in partnership with NBC Sports Group. So the the core tenets of of launching a major uh, American sports league property are best-in-class, uh, major uh, network deal, and then our innovation around the model itself, which I'm sure we'll get into. This is going to sound overly simplistic, but I think it's a great question. How hard was it? Yeah, I, I think uh, incredibly hard and, and, and will continue to be. Uh, building a business of this size is uh, kind of like sub-appropriated into five major categories. So you have your media and, and that's primarily how sports are consumed across a number of different mediums, this being one of them, audio. So our media strategy, led by NBC. Uh, the second is our, our product on field and, and the ticket sales and the gate. So what's our sales strategy? Then you have sponsors. So you have a corporate partnership team. You have a biz dev team that you build out and strategy there. Um, and then you have your merch. And then you have your youth academies. So much like how we've seen MLS continue to grow over the last decade, those are, are the, the, the five major tenets. And in a way, you're building five major businesses. Uh, so, so it's an incredibly difficult lift. We had to have the right sophisticated and strategic capital behind both Mike and myself. Mike's my co-founder, older brother, and CEO of this business. Uh, we had to hire a great executive team. And, uh, and then just every single day, roll up your sleeves and go. So prior to today, there were two major lacrosse leagues in the U.S. There was the NLL, the indoor version, and MLL, the outdoor league. Your league is competing with the MLL, the outdoor league. In your own words, how, how big a deal is this in lacrosse? I, I called this a revolution on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. That got some pushback. Is this uh, Are you declaring a revolution in, in, in professional lacrosse? Well, I, I, I just want to 
like backpedal a little bit and say that uh, on the outset, our vision was to work with the MLL. We didn't want to come into this marketplace and directly compete. Uh, and, and as we all know, especially you all lead in, in the Business of Sports podcast, is that deals are complicated. We brought several partnerships to the table. Um, again, wanted to try to figure out a way to do so in unison and, and couldn't. Uh, but we feel a level of conviction and passion for where this game could be. And to your point, Evan, there's never been a better time to be a major sports league uh, in America. And that's primarily because of the convergence of modern media and tech um, how team sports have evolved from having your local baseball park, local print and radio to now television, national television, OTT ubiquity, social media growth. Fans can have access to players at any point and their favorite teams anywhere. Uh, so for us and for me specifically, now having played lacrosse professionally for 11 seasons with my peers is, hey, we're, we're sitting on the fastest growing sport in North America. It's the, also the oldest sport in North America, the indigenous game founded by Native Americans. It's growing at a, at a great clip, high school, collegiately, even internationally, but to unlock the commercial viability of any major sport. And this is case studies across football, basketball, golf. College has always been prominent to unlock the commercial viability for your players and the distribution at scale for the product. The pro game has to succeed. Bart, don't you just love when athletes come in here and talk talk about I, distribution and scale? I love it. And, it, and <laughs> scale, as you know, scale is my that's my favorite thing to talk about on this show. That the, the technology and the the ability to scale what you're doing these days. I want I want to ask is something you mentioned about your youth division because that's important because that yeah. builds for a, a young athlete to take this on to college. Yep. You take it on to college, then you can go pro. So that, if, can you talk about that more, about building the, the youth excitement in lacrosse? Yeah, so th there's two ways we think about it. One is the PLL academies, which which I'll address. And two is that we, we are, are heavy in our demographic with millennials and Gen Zs. And uh, there are 2 million participants in lacrosse every year, folks who touch a lacrosse stick, both men and women in the U.S., uh, so, so what we see is a very rabid young lacrosse player who wants to go through the high school, college ranks and has aspirations at the professional international level. So unlocking that opportunity for a young kid to say, just like the NBA or the NFL or the MLS, like, there is a future for me beyond college economically through inviting opportunity uh, as being a part of a major sports platform and so on. So that's one. Two across the academies is we look at the tour-based model to be able to solve for, um, you know, the the opportunity to get our sport in front of an emerging fan base and not limit ourselves to fewer than ten cities, uh, and and we can spend more time there. But the other piece is when we're bringing six teams and the best players in the world descending upon a major market city, playing at a premium venue every weekend throughout the entire season. We've got a great opportunity to interact with those budding young players. And so for our players to directly uh, work with them from an instructional capacity in and around the weekend, certainly not during game days and such, but being able to have this unprecedented access for these young players to touch um, you know, the top players in the world and learn from them, we look at part of our role as, as the professional lacrosse body to um, continue to instruct and help grow the skill set of the young players. And Paul, if you want that full investment from the best players in the world, you got to pay them, right? Yep. And that's one of the differentiators here in that your employees will be paid as full-time employees, healthcare, equity in 
the league. Yep. You saw that as a must. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, to Evan's point, we, we are in a competitive environment. So when you look at competitive environments across industries, not just sports, uh, economic viability is, is a big piece of it. But we felt like that the players deserved it. And, and I'm being one of them who, you know, you and I, you mentioned our, our relationship dating back five plus years ago, and you had written the piece around the first million dollar athlete in lacrosse, and the lion's share of it was endorsements in my camps and clinic business. Um, athletes have been moonlighting as uh, professional lacrosse players, which is a secondary, in some cases, third career for many guys who have full-time jobs, whether it be in finance or real estate or other industries. Um, so, so we know from a, from a, to get the best talent on field and to really embrace the nature of new media exposure and marketing of our sport and our players, our players need to be full-time, but they deserve it. Previously, wages have been below the poverty line on, on average American part-time wage for labor. And so we wanted to drastically increase that to a full-time level. We wanted to provide benefits. Someone like myself who broke off and became, a, and I'm using air quotes, a full-time lacrosse player I was really an entrepreneur, I had to figure out my benefit strategy. And it's complicated. Um, and it's risky, too, because a lot of these guys that are full-time have camp and clinic businesses, and those are liable when you talk about insurance on field and, and interacting with a consumer. These are things I'm sure, like players may never think of. For sure. Yeah, and there's an educating element to our platform, but full-time wages, benefits, the regular performance incentives that you guys cover in the NBA and the NFL and such for being a game MVP, being an end-of-year award winner, and then, the, and then the biggest piece is equity. And we're the first team sports league to provide its players with equity. We see that as athletes continue to take on equity positions with their brand partners, their interest around tapping into a really rabid audience across social media to provide value to startups that are looking for an athlete to invest or grant them shares. We think the future of pro sports as athletes are the major assets. For them to be equity owners aligns the league and the players. But you do have some sophisticated investors, as you said, Rain, Fortress, Chernin. They want ROI. Yep. So how, explain to me, as you would explain to them in the pitch meeting, the path to positive returns. Yeah. So if you look at major team sports properties, the valuations are, are through the roof. So this isn't a, a traditional, uh, you know, call it event business deal where we're looking to raise some money and turn profitability in year one. And, and you know, here's our, our, our P&L. We're, we're still, uh, to a degree, uh, in our early stage portion of a startup, and we're going to hit growth stage, but there's a number of uh, steps that have to take place. One was inking a, a mass distribution deal. Uh, two is how we're building out our revenue streams, and we've already taken meaningful strides there. So this is an investment from their uh, standpoint into the future of professional sports and using lacrosse, which already has product market fit, to use a, a startup term. People know what lacrosse is. It's been around. It has validation at the NCAA level. We're not building a new sport from scratch. So there's product market fit here. Let's add rocket fuel to it and see if we can reach those sports valuations in the future. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more. 
you know, you said something earlier, and that's when lacrosse is going to explode, when other companies, other advertisers, other sponsors realize, hey, there's some money to be made here. It's, so a, pretty all, affluent, it's a pretty affluent yeah, base of yeah. players and fans. When yep. they realize that, that this is when it's really, is, is boom, is when it's going to skyrocket. Yeah, well, we think, as, as Scott mentioned, our, our demographic is affluent. They have purchasing power, but they're rabid consumers of the game. And so to be able to serve them the way that a major modern pro sports league should is important, and we're going to do that. But what we're also looking to do and why the NBC deal is really great for us, uh, 19 games on live television, the other 19 games will be on NBC Gold, but our lead-in will be the Premier League. Our, our post game will be NASCAR. So we're going to get in front of new fans. We're not just dropping in and, and you'll see it opening face off and the final goal and we cut out. There's a pregame, there's a post game. So we're making sure that we're showing our place, players' faces. We're interacting and interviewing them. We're building celebrities out of them. And that will tap into a new sports audience. I've been telling what we were discussing the other day. What did I say? If I was the agent of a football player, let's say Pat Mahomes, what did I say? I don't remember. You know, I, I would tell him. <laughs> you say a lot of stuff. Thank you very much. You say, a lot of stuff. You say a lot of stuff. Why, we, why do we even have him? <laughs> say a lot of stuff. Jesus, the man bun's bad Dude, enough. You're, you're talking all day. By the way, you notice, to have a man bun. You notice how Ray, I was going to say, Rabel, Rabel got rid of the man bun. You'll notice that. Uh, all right. I said, if I was his agent, when you're not on that field, take, take your, your damn off. He- Thank you. Take your mm-hmm. helmet off at every turn because the NFL is filled with nameless, faceless people. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're interchangeable parts. You understand. You got to be seen. You got to have that sort of naked vulnerability. People yeah. need to know who you are. Can can we talk details for a second? I, I have sure. so many questions about how this thing sure. eventually works out. Six teams. Yeah. Is there going to be owners? Are you selling? You know, is there expansion fees? How, how does the the team ownership structure going to work? True single entity. Okay. So we look at much MLS like, style. Yes, much like an early stage tech company in Silicon Valley. Uh, that's that's looking to hit scales. We've talked about scale. You have to build the product first with the proper tender love and care. You have to understand the players, understand who your customers are, listen to feedback, and grow appropriately. To be able to just you know, franchise out to a bunch of ownership groups that then have their own, own autonomy, it's difficult to have a quality of control of what we're building. Um, the teams will be treated autonomously, though, and they're going to be governed by their own GMs, head coaches, assistant coaches, and even equipment managers. And they will be making player selections. We'll have our college draft. The critical piece to this is, is while a tour-based model in a team sports league is different, and we, we call it innovative, others may disagree and talk about the value of city-based, what, what we understand is that we're a league and we're a competitive league first. So to make sure that the teams are autonomous and every weekend they're competing to, jo- to, to essentially jockey for playoff positioning. So full regular season slate of games, playoffs, and a PLL championship on the line. The performance incentives and all of the accolades that go with why players compete at the highest level, that was critical for us. So unlike the MLS, there's not going to be owners. of the, And I know they don't have names yet, but, but the blue team is not going to be owned by... Stan Kroenke. So our owners are our investors and our players, everyone on our cap table, just like a, a true single entity. Now, I just want to be clear that city-based teams are really valuable. We're not saying that that's going away. We were sharing a story a, a couple of days ago about the Washington Capitals parade over a million people in D.C. Like Your city affinity matters, but there are a lot of data that shows that 
millennials and Gen Zs, and because of new tech, across media especially, allows people to pick their, their favorite teams and watch their games anywhere, whether it's Cristiano Ronaldo overseas, LeBron James now in LA, you have fans of LA because of LeBron James on the East Coast. But to my point around uh, city-based is that we think as we prove this thing out and continue to hit our milestones, that there's a world where we go back there, much like esports, e-sports has gone from right, tournament right. to city-based. And, and that's going to be uh, indicated by our success in, in hitting each step along the way. Can and you share with us? I'm sorry, so when does profitability happen? Year what? So we, uh, we, we hope that it will hit in the next several years. Obviously, you have to build upside scenarios, uh, base case, and then, uh, and then what are we going to do if, if we struggle? Now, you know, coming out of the gates with an NBC partnership, we feel we felt like was was critical to our success and our road to profitability. Uh, what I'll say around, you know, one more comment around around city versus tour base. What we're saying now, and I've had these conversations with uh, some of my friends over at Instagram that are on the sports team, is that in many niche sports like lacrosse, you have fewer than ten city-based teams, and right now the MLL has nine. So you're actually more ostracized to the entire fan marketplace than 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 you think. And so by going tour base, we're a national league right out of the gates. And and fans can pick their favorite teams based on the players, based on the coach player relationships or the culture that we that we present around the clubs. Is there a concern that too too much cookie cutter about kind of the way these teams are structured results in less I don't know, differentiation or one of the things I love about pick the NFL, for example, you know, you have guys like Jerry Jones, whose ownership is so very different structurally and and theoretically than you have for, you know, someone like Paul Allen or a smaller market team that has to do things a little differently. Um, Do do you have concern that that you just have six identical teams that have kind of roughly the same approach to the game, et cetera? Yeah. So that's, that's actually a great question. And, uh, and we have to get super granular to give you our answer. So certainly, as I had mentioned, there's a lot of value in being city-based. There's a lot of value in having Jerry Jones as an owner because he does, he's a disruptor or Mark Cuban as an owner in the NBA. And we don't have that right now. Uh, but what we're leaning into is the storytelling of each team and, and the cultures of each team will be very different. I'll give you an abstract example in sports entertainment is the WWE. Right. Every faction or wrestler has their own social media uh, employee, essentially, in-house that's focused on building out that brand, that competition, the arch rivals in the ring. And so what we have are, are teams dedicated on our media business to making sure that the stories of each team are very unique, that rivalries are being built. That's going to happen organically between players, mm-hmm. but that's a big piece for us. It's, so the storytelling around that. And who names the teams? Is that something you're going to do? How's that going to work? Yeah. So we have a have built a lacrosse advisory board uh, of some of the most prominent uh, figures in our game, college Give coaches, names, yeah. influencers. We'll release that. I can't, okay. I can't disclose. That's going to be the, the follow-on story. So it's a neutral governing body that is helping us with areas like you know, team branding, um, you know, team formation, college draft in 2019, to end-of-season awards, to all-star picks. That's a critical piece. Around the branding side, we're working with a major agency here in New York City that's helping us build this thing out. And then from the inside out, you know, we believe that much like the logo that you guys uh, announced today, that we're creating something very modern, appealing, uh, bold, kind of tech-inspired as, as we kind of take on this new approach to team sports. The last time we talked to you, you said social media was a big step 
to get the word out for yeah. you guys. And now, especially, uh, it has blown up. Can you tell us more about how social media has been your super friend right now? Yeah, so social social media has reached a place of ubiquity, especially over the last five years, where it has been the igniter for the athletes gaining more attention and more prominence even over their teams. If you look at LeBron James going from now Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland to L.A., and continue to grow his loyalty and his following. Cristiano Ronaldo playing in more than three continents and bringing 25% growth to each club he plays for in number of followerships and, and revenue and such. And, and so while certainly we don't have LeBron James and Cristiano Ronaldo, we have athletes who are investing full-time in the game and are building out their social profiles. And that's really meaningful because you have a direct – relationship through communication on a daily basis with an audience that is um, hungry and thirsty to be served. Uh, what we can't control and what we do our best creatively, but also try to hack into culture around is virality. It's with something that in a way that, that we've talked about or word of mouth with the growth of this podcast and this platform right now is that you have to count on behind the scenes, data crunching, trying to forecast trends combined with creativity combined with the best players, the best resources to be able to deliver your message. And between the three, you hope that you build virality. And this is something around our launch strategy is that we felt like the most important thing is that you establish foundation and credibility. Bloomberg gives us that, especially on the finance piece. Storytelling that Scott's done and be able to break it down is great. Then we have our endemics coming in. So lacrosse gets to tell a more granular story and they get kind of deep into the weeds as Evan did around well, how the team's being formed and this player and that player. And then you have our players unleashing over social and PLO website being launched and, and our social media. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a storm that takes place and, and you hope that it strikes the right way. All right, let's end it on this and let, let throw humility aside. John Miller, president of NBC sports, had this to say about you. I would equate it, and you're playing in the league, not just being a part of it, but being a player. I would equate it to having LeBron James or Sidney Crosby on your air every week. And that's exciting for us. So NBC is making an investment. We all know how important media is to the revenue of these general sports leagues. What can you tell us about the investment NBC is making? What is the structure? And how are they approaching this deal? Yeah, so so NBC's a true partner, and it's it's the best media rights deal we we honestly could have hoped for. Where there's a, there's incredible inventory across television, so we have exposure to of our 19 games on television, which will be a little bit more than one a week. NBC Sports will cover 17, and two will be on NBC flagship. So they have the largest distribution of any major broadcast network on the planet. There are 110 million plus homes of the 119.9 broadcasted uh, homes that are available. Uh, so to, to, to send that wider net uh, on a seasonal basis to try and not only service our players and our fans that want the game to be on TV and produce in a really state-of-the-art way, we talked about helmets off and interviews uh, during breaks and even in between shifts and different things like radar guns to, to track the shot speed on net or off net, experimenting with color palettes of the ball to make sure non-lacrosse fans can follow the action, what's happening. That was a huge piece. And John and his team not only came to the table on a distribution front, but on a promotional front. So much like they helped the NHL grow 
the Premier League through rights, what we've seen across NASCAR and Tour de France, uh, and then being the major rights holder for the Olympics as lacrosse has continued over the past two years to make, make a major bid at the international level and will hopefully get uh, the Olympic ring sanctioning by end of year and potentially be in 2028 at the, at the LA Olympics. So that uh, uh, alliance with NBC was the best that we could have hoped for. Um, the other thing that, that I'll say around where we're going to, to take this thing beyond the broadcast and, and to Eben's point around, well, we don't have individual ownerships, and sometimes that's an attention grabber and an opportunity for dialogue, is statistics. So for the longest time, lacrosse has been pretty errant with their stat keeping, whether it be missed ground balls, not understanding cause turnovers or turnovers, and sometimes assists get missed. And so what we're doing is drilling down with the statistics and research team on not only making sure that the game is airtight, but that leads to other opportunities like fantasy sports, like sports gambling. You have to get statistics right. And the additional narratives that take place from your core analysts on predictions and matchups and playoff scenarios. So statistics, what we think brings that, that rabid core traditional fan to the game and we'll do that through NBC and we'll storytell that through all of our platforms but that's where we think the game is going to get additionally validated and grow and real quick before we wrap as you look into the future let's say five years from now is there a world in which PLL and MLL are both around and both doing well or is this kind of a zero-sum game kind of competing the two of you to be the outdoor lacrosse league yeah so Appreciate that. Haymaker question. at the end. Yeah, appreciate that question. <laughs> I, I I think it's a good one and and worth definitely worth asking. So, you know, as part as part of being a, an entrepreneur, I've spent a lot of time uh, on the psychology of business and a lot of time um, in personal and and entrepreneurial therapy. And what you learn as as you try to be an objective operator is what are the possible scenarios. And there is a possibility that both leagues are in existence five years from now. There's a possibility that only one league plays in 2019. There's a possibility that the leagues work together one day. There's a possibility that NLL comes in the mix as well. And then there's an overarching body for both outdoor and indoor lacrosse. So uh, I think what we have to do as operators is understand all those possibilities and those scenarios and what are our contingency plans with each. And, uh, and to jump too far into the future... Uh, would put us off track. We're hyper-focused right now on building PLL. You guys are going to be around for a long, long time. Thanks, Don't man. even worry about it, man. It's like, <laughs> Paul Rabel, it. thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us. This, see, this is the cool stuff that happens. They pay us to do this. Yeah. Uh, maybe but, I shouldn't have said that out loud. But they don't pay us enough that any one of us can dress well. Yeah. well <laughs> I would pay you guys to keep coming on this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll take it. <laughs> Paul Rabel, thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, guys. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> oh, I had to think about that for a second. Well, and it's three things. It's three I mean, things that's, that's in there. A lot I, of I had two going. And uh, by the way, you can catch us on any uh, platform that's out there. We are appreciative. Thank you again. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.